0: Hello once again, and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I'm Kevin Weber. On this show, we're going to look at a few different things. As usual, we have our umpire spotlight, this time on Hall of Fame umpire Billy Evans. Also, I'm going to talk about my recent purchase of a rough smart timer and some information about that. And I had a thing that uh, I put out on the Facebook page talking about what you're thankful for. So I got one piece of feedback from that, and also I will expand on the topic myself. So sit back and make sure your speakers are working good and your earbuds are in for another episode of The Hammer. frequently when we think of even a new major league umpire we think of some kind of gentleman that's been um through a bunch of tests throughout his career worked his way through the minor leagues um just had to fight his way and claw his way to to get to the to the big leagues um you know and only the you know the fittest survive i guess um but today's umpire spotlight um, is a little bit different than that. It's on Billy Evans, the Hall of Fame umpire, American League umpire from the early 1900s, who was inducted into the Hall of Fame well after his death in uh, 1973. The thing about Billy Evans is he debuted as an American League umpire in 1906, and he was only 22 years old. He was uh, the youngest umpire in Major League history, and then he worked for 22 years, and a six World Series, among other things, right? But uh, the thing about him, he wasn't just an umpire. He was a bit of a baseball Renaissance man. You know, he was a, an accomplished sports writer um, and wrote some books as well and newspaper articles. At the same time that he was an umpire, uh, he became a front office executive for uh, three different major league teams, and um, you know, he had a list of accomplishments throughout his life. Evans grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and uh, studied law at Cornell University, which uh, is pretty impressive, and he was a multi-sport star, um, including baseball, and played under former um, Detroit Tiger and Hall of Famer Huey Jennings when he was there. Um, He ended up uh, getting himself hurt in football, some kind of knee injury or something like that, in his um, baseball career kind of, uh, came to an end. So he kind of went more into sports writing while he was in college and he was covering a baseball game when the scheduled umpire failed to show up. This is frequently the case for guys that get into umpiring that they kind of get thrown into the situation. Well, anyway, um, he didn't show up and, uh, Evan stepped in and, uh, you know, officiated the contest and impressed the players and the crowd and everything and kept filling in a few other times kind of was a standby guy and then eventually um he was impressive enough that they offered him a contract for 150 dollars a month which was way more money than he was making as a sports writer so he went to the minor leagues and umpired there for two years before um, American League President Ben Johnson offered him a contract to officiate in the American League for $2,400, which was pretty good money back then. Um, I guess years later, Evans claimed that he broke all kinds of like speed records to find a telegram and send his simple reply to Johnson when he offered it. And his reply was, yes and thanks. But anyway, so he was 22 and in American League. You know, during the dead ball era when umpires often called games alone. And like in 1907, Evans single-handedly worked seven double-headers in eight days. Now, obviously, he's working the plate for all the games because he's working by himself. Later that season, in 1907, I guess he suffered a fractured skull when somebody threw a glass bottle at him and knocked him unconscious, all right? So, pretty rough and tumble way to uh, make a living at that time. Anyway, as time progressed, um, he became known as a, an innovating umpire. He was uh, among one of the the first to run down the first baseline to follow a play uh, to see if there was you know, any kind of in- interference or pulled foot or something like that. Um, he tried to treat players with great respect. He wasn't one of those guys out there always trying to argue with everybody. Um And he was a big early advocate of improving umpires, you know, their standing in the game in general. You know, he called for the establishment of formal, you know, umpire schools, uh, which didn't happen until well after he, um, was done umpiring. Uh, so when people ask him, Hey, what makes a good umpire, which is always a very good question for anybody, he replied, um, good eyes, plenty of courage, mental and physical. A thorough knowledge of the playing rules, um, more than average portions of fair play, common sense, and diplomacy, and an entire lack of vindictiveness, and plenty of confidence in your ability. So, pretty good advice and a pretty good description of what makes a good umpire. I think I would agree with that. A lot of the old-time dead-ball era umpires uh, I've seen you know interviews of would never admit that they ever made a mistake, like they never missed a call or anything. But Evans wasn't um, like that. I mean, he he would say that he missed a lot of calls. Um, and at the time, of course, he thought he got it right. But, you know, when he looked back at it or maybe just a few seconds later, he knew he probably got it wrong, but you got to stick with it. That's the way it was back then. Obviously, no instant replay or anything like that. There was really no way to overturn it and if you're working by yourself, that certainly wasn't happening either. But um I I, I can definitely relate to that because I think and I think most of us can, that there's, you know, calls that we make during a game and, and you know, even well after the game when you're driving home or you're sitting at your house or whatever you're doing, you know, getting something to eat and you're thinking about certain things, running certain things through your mind and knowing, huh oh, well maybe I didn't quite get that one right. So, um I, I think there's something to be said for that so during the the time he umpired 1906 to 1927 um evans kind of built a reputation as a fair and square kind of umpire you know they could handle anything that came out there on the diamond um he often said that the the trick of umpiring relied upon three talents the ability to study human nature and apply the findings the ability to be at the right angle to make a call, and the ability to bear no malice—I again, very good things—and um, he kind of, um, you know, he he demonstrated those things throughout his career. Like when he got his fractured skull in 1907 after you know somebody you know threw the ball at him after a controversial call, um, and then I guess there was. Um, an incident uh, in 1921 involving uh, Ty Cobb. Um, uh, Cobb didn't like one of his calls, and after, you know, Cobb was uh, right over some strike call or something in the late innings, and during the argument, Cobb reportedly told Evans that he'd whoop him right at home plate, but he wasn't going to do that because he knew he'd get suspended. So Evans invited Cobb to the umpire's dressing room for the post-game festivities, and um, I guess a brawl took place under the stands with Players from both teams forming like a ring around the combatants sounds like something out of a movie. <laughs> and then, uh, according to some accounts of the incident, the um, the fight ended in a draw. Um, and everybody knows Ty Cobb was a pretty tough dude, so that's saying something. Anyway, um, once they were all bloodied up and everything, Cobb ended up getting suspended for the next game. But um, Evans umpired the next game uh, wearing bandages, so definitely shows what kind of tough guy he was. So, like all of us should be, um, Evans was known as a mentor to newer and younger umpires, and he was generous with his time and advice, uh, helping people to move along. Like I said, he advocated for, you know, formal umpire schools and training schools. Um, And he um, helped guys like uh, Bill McGowan, um, you know, break into the league. And, of course, McGowan uh, started one of the first umpire schools. And we'll talk about him in a a future umpire spotlight um so you know he, he did some things to, to set things in the in the right direction um he wasn't afraid to admit his mistakes you know he was you know there there's something to be said about you know there's there's a certain confidence in being able to admit your mistakes and move on from them um without you know vindictiveness and things like that um like there was one time there was a ball that you know struck a pebble and, you know, that he, he called foul right before it before had stopped rolling, you know, made that mistake. Anyway, struck a pebble and, and kicked back in the fair territory, and, of course, the manager of the team that it went against came out there rushing out of the field, getting all mad at him, and, you know, saying he should, you know, reverse the call, and the famous quote is, Billy responded, well, it would have been a fair ball yesterday, and it will be a fair ball tomorrow, and for all the years to come, but right now, unfortunately, It's foul because that's the way I called it. So, you know, he knew what it was. So after his playing days, um, he wrote frequently for Collier's Magazine and uh, the Sporting News. And he authored a couple books, uh, one called Naughty Problems of Baseball, which came out in 1950. And then in 1947, uh, a book called Umpiring from the Inside. I've got one of his books too called uh, How to Umpire, which I looked through and it's pretty interesting as well. It's like from probably around 1920 or so. Anyway, uh, those stood as like umpire manuals for a long time. Um, And some of the uh, information in them is pretty sound to begin with, like, you know, uh, mechanics, uh, handling game situations. Um, You know, he would talk about things to younger umpires like you can't be Too thorough a student of the playing rules, which is true. Um, You know, never take your eye off the ball. uh, Never flaunt your authority. Always work on the theory that the fans came out to see the players perform. They certainly didn't come to see the umpires. I mean, only our families might do that or a couple friends. And uh, never look for trouble. And, of course, we've all been with the guys that sometimes seem like they're looking for trouble or something. Um, he always talked about treating players with the same consideration that you, you expect from them. Hustle every minute you're on the ball field. Um, you know, some good advice that you would hear if you went to an umpire camp now or to an umpire school. Some of the same types of things, I'm sure, are said there. After his uh, umpiring days, Billy Evans um, was a general manager of three different clubs through um, you know the late 20s, 30s, into the 1940s. Um, he was general manager of the Cleveland Indians, uh, the Boston Red Sox, uh, and the Detroit Tigers. Probably the most controversial thing he did with the Tigers was he sold Hank Greenberg to the Pirates after the 1946 season, and Tigers kind of folded after that. But anyway, he was also um, general manager of the Cleveland Rams of the NFL, and then he was president of the Southern Association, you know, a whole league, you know, one of the minor leagues for for um, a couple years as well, during World War II times. So, did a variety of things, and he continued to write as well, a variety of things um, after his uh, umpiring days were over. So, his Hall of Fame plaque in Cooperstown, New York, reads, William George Evans, Umpire and Executive, employed by American League in 1906 at age 22, making him the youngest umpire ever in major leagues. Served on AL staff through 1927. Officiated in six World Series. General manager of Cleveland Indians 1927 to 33. Farm director of the Boston Red Sox uh, 1936 to 40. President of the Southern Association 1942 to 46, and general manager of the Detroit Tigers from 1947 to 51. So that's uh, today's umpire spotlight, Billy Evans. Probably the number one piece of equipment that college baseball umpires will be getting for 2020 is one of the box timers for between innings and uh, the 22nd rule. Um, I just recently purchased one from purchaseofficials.com because they have free shipping uh, through Cyber Monday. So if you're listening to this before the end of Cyber Monday, uh, you might want to check that out if you're in the market for one of these devices. There's a couple of them out there. I used one of these, the rough smart model, um, at my umpire camp that I did back in September. And I liked the way it worked. It was pretty simple. Um, so it's, you know, a, a black box type device, very similar, well, pretty much the same, I guess, as what people use in um, football officiating. All right. So if you're familiar with that, you'll know what we're talking about. So it's pretty pretty easily times the you know NCAA Action Pitch Clock that uh, is going to be newly enforced this year. It clips right to your belt. You can pretty much use it in all weather conditions, though they say that if it's like a pouring rain, then you might want to put some kind of protection over it or something. Um, a lot simpler than using like a wristwatch or something. That's pretty much going to be impossible to do if you're um, maintaining... Uh, your responsibilities um, on the field like looking for box or anything else right, so it it provides instead you know a silent warning vibrations you know to eliminate those kinds of distractions so basically you clip it on your belt you toggle it down for the 20 second pitch clock and um, then it gives a warning vibration after 15 seconds and then a final vibration after 20 seconds and then you can get it to the neutral level, and then it will, you know, not be doing anything. And then for between innings, for the 120 seconds between innings, you toggle it up. It gives you a first warning uh, with 30 seconds remaining, uh, and then a second warning vibration with 15 seconds remaining, and then the final vibration with 120 seconds, um, when, once that expires anyway. Um so not too difficult to use you know runs on a couple of double a batteries which you know you just got to kind of have a little screwdriver type device you know pop pop it off there put the new batteries in there and probably want to keep some of those with you uh in your umpire bag or whatever and some kind of little mini screwdriver as well would probably be useful so anyway um there's a couple of them out there, but uh, I think that they're very similar and very similar in price. Um, that's kind of what I did. Um, I'd be interested to hear, you know, if anybody has an opinion on one of the other manufacturers. Um, I'm not trying to promote one or the other, but it's definitely something to look into uh, before they're back ordered or something like that, and you're scrambling to uh, get one before. Even if you're a high school official, this can be useful um you know there's well if you're doing both collegiate and high school games you can certainly practice with it um you know you have similar rule sets of course and you know it's good to um keep them moving between the innings even even though that might not be you know the rule of the land there for you know uh, high school but 120 seconds get them moving you know and keep those games moving too so you could probably use it at all levels that you're working just to make sure you're managing the game pretty well. So anyway, um that's, you know, the Rough Smart College Baseball Action Clock and inning timer. Last week, I posed a question on the Hammer and Umpire podcast Facebook page, which I urge you to join. Lots of people have recently, which I've been very pleased with. It's just at the Hammer podcast. Anyway, I posed a question. I hope there are many things you're thankful for in your lives. I'm wondering what you're thankful for when it comes to umpiring. Please leave a comment below declaring who or what you're thankful for when it comes to officiating. Better yet write your comment, and then leave me a quick voicemail to use in the next episode of The Hammer. Well, I haven't gotten any voicemails yet on anything. Be the first one. <laughs> I urge you to do that, okay? I'm looking for that. But I did get a comment from Mark Snyder, who I believe is an umpire out of California, and uh, which I'm very thankful for. Um, you know, that's you know, one of the things I'm thankful for, your comment, Mark. And I would also be very thankful for a voicemail or some other comment uh, feedback on the show but anyway mark wrote i'm thankful for the players of all ages they give us the reason to be on a field to begin with my path to umpiring began 12 years ago while coaching my son's teams i disagree with calls by umpires enough to dive into rule books and umpire groups to learn our craft so thank you for that comment and you know make a good point there mark that um you know, if we don't have this game, we don't have people playing it and all the teams and all the leagues that all of us work all over the world, then we, we don't have this. We don't, we don't have the friendships and the camaraderie and the fun that we have at times. I know sometimes it's not fun, but overall we, we usually like it and we don't get to, you know, make some extra money as well. Um, which, you know, we do like to make a little money on it. Let's not kid ourselves. So certainly the game of baseball itself is certainly something to be thankful for um, that it has evolved into what it is today. It's not perfect. We know that there are some things that are irritating in the leagues and the levels and, and the way parents are and sometimes the way coaches or players are as well. But overall it's a pretty good thing. Um, we got a pretty good thing going. Um, we put we put some effort and time into it, you know, and, but we get a lot out of it for sure. Baseball, I know baseball has given a lot to me over the years. Um, not just, you know, the friendships I've gathered from it and the uh, the fun and the memories and everything, but uh, all the other things it's provided, you know, since I was just a little kid and in, in various ways. So I'm sure a lot of you um, could think of a baseball in those terms as well. But, you know, Again, back to the topic of what you're thankful for. Well, I'm certainly, you know, thankful for my family um, for allowing me to pursue this avocation. You know, uh, it's definitely part-time. I mean, I'm a full-time teacher. So my wife has inspired me to keep working at it. And, you know, my, my daughter is okay with me being away, doing my umpiring stuff, you know, on the weekends and throughout the summer and everything. Um basically, what I do is I, I like to do it, and I like the you know the money I can make from it, but I just get the money, and put it in my bank account and, and there there it is and my my wife can kind of do what she wants with it to a point i mean uh you know don't really worry too much about it. it's not like it's my money or something like that um for you know just for me to use or something for whatever I make you know we go on vacations with it um those kind of things so i I kind of give it back to the family, i guess. I don't know how you guys handle that, but uh, that's kind of how I handle it. I know everybody's situation's a little bit uh, different, so you got to do what's best for you. I'm also thankful for all the, the great people that I've met along the way. Um, I met some some great partners, um, and you know some not so great partners that have definitely taught me some things too, but uh, a lot of really good people that have that have stepped up and um, you know told you things that you needed to hear. And uh, helps you with specific things um, in your officiating, you know, like you know, maybe your style for how you're calling balls and strikes or the way that you place your hands. I can remember one of my partners talking to me about how I placed my hand kind of different when I was standing there like on my hip or something like that. And, and so, you know... I, I, I'm not saying I necessarily wanted to hear that at the time, but um, I I said thank you, and it, you know, and I try to do things a little bit differently. I mean, those are things that you need to be able to get to with partners, so that um, people need to tell you some of those little things. All the different camps I've gone to, I've met some wonderful instructors and you know, very successful umpires, guys that have done college World Series and you know, World Series at you know, NAIA or division two and division three and those kind of things in between guys that have worked pro ball and gone through the schools and obviously worked in the minor leagues um they have a so much knowledge and experience that they are always willing to share um and help help you get a little bit better because you know there's a lot of ego a lot of ego in in umpiring and a lot of guys that want what other guys have and they're willing to kind of be there's a few guys here and there they're willing to be a little conniving and and a little under the table for how they handle things and what they might say about people. And, you know, you get a vibe for those kind of guys. But uh, I've been lucky that I've been able to surround myself with a lot of people that are good people that uh, don't seem to do those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for... Um, you know, the opportunities that I've had, I've had good opportunities in high school baseball, you know, to work a couple state championships and other big games along the way. I've progressed pretty well in collegiate baseball up to now, you know, division one kind of level, um, and down below that as well. You know, there's goals I still have, but you know, I do pretty well, um, all things considered. And I'm very, very thankful for that. I mean, I've had good opportunities and good chances to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've worked for it, but, um, you got to kind of be lucky too. You know, it's not always about just, um, just, you know, all of your ability and everything. You got to have things kind of fall your way. They haven't always fallen my way, you know, the, the way that I would, would like them to, but, um, in general, you know, things have kind of worked out. Um, so that's a tough thing in our society. And I see that with a lot of my high school students that, um, you know, they're not very patient. Um, That's kind of the way, it's not just their generation, but you see that just because of the fast-moving nature of our society and wanting things right now, very quickly, you know, it's kind of an on-demand kind of society. And so people expect, you know, an on-demand umpiring career to move in that direction too, and that's not the way it is. I mean, um, it might take you five or six years to move to a certain level you know, and that's what you got to put into it. Um, if you're willing to do that, then maybe it'll work out. There's no guarantees, but uh, maybe it'll work out for you. I see a lot of guys, they think after one or two years, they should be, you know, working the state finals or working division one college baseball or something like that. Even guys that come straight out of the minor leagues, they got to put in some time and kind of prove themselves. So, you know, I'm not one of those guys that likes to, um, I don't. I'm not going to beg for anything. Um, if somebody thinks I deserve something, then they'll give me the assignment or or help me along. If if they don't, then then they don't. You know, maybe I wasn't quite good enough. <laughs> that's kind of the way I figure, and I figure that about other people too. If you don't get it, then obviously there's something that wasn't quite there for you. Um, so that's just the way that it goes. So um, yeah, those are a few things that I'm thankful for. Um, I'm sure I could think of some others if I. If I kept rambling on about it, but uh, I urge you to think about those things too as you go through the th- the season when you are getting your assignments. You know, be thankful for what you have. Realize that there's always people below you. I, I know you always want something a little bit better, but uh, be thankful for what you have and the games that you're working, and you know, do the best job with those. Um, we only have so many years to do this. You know, our our bodies. Can, you know some guys I know maybe can umpire until they're 75 or something but most most guys you're only gonna be and, and the ladies out there too you're only gonna be doing this for so long you know your life might change or your life situation might change your job might change and obviously your physical ability might change over time too so you've got to appreciate what you have because I always look at everything as someday I'm gonna be hopefully really old and I'm just gonna be sitting around in my chair probably watching TV or something. And I want to think back at all the things I did in umpiring and and have some really good memories that I can hopefully remember when I'm an old man, all right? Um, what else is it good for, you know? You know, you you know, you can tell everybody what you did, but, you know, that that's really what I look forward to. So I'm just trying to make those memories um, so that I have them all and hopefully remember them when I'm an old dude, all right? So that's kind of uh, my advice, and I'll be thankful for those if I can do it. So anyway thankfulness here on Thanksgiving. Um, Keep it in mind and try to keep it mindful for yourself throughout the season. Once again, we're at the end of another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I appreciate you sticking with me once again. I know I've got a few um um serious listeners that try to listen to every episode. I've got people from you know all over the world as I mentioned before. I've got some guys from Canada listening, some people from New Zealand now, added another country, and Indonesia. Um in the United States, you know, we've got uh, a majority of people from Michigan cuz that's where I'm from listening, but you know, just 41%. We also have listeners in Oregon. New York, Ohio, Virginia, Texas, California, the District of Columbia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Illinois, Florida, Indiana, Georgia, New Mexico, Kansas, North Carolina, Utah, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Vermont, Missouri, Kentucky, Nevada, Maryland, South Carolina, Arkansas, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. So, quite impressive, um, list of states there, uh, it's kind of hard for me to believe that I've got people all over America and in other parts of the world, you know, I've got people in, you know, Jakarta listening to the show, and I've got people in Auckland listening to the show, and I've got people in Ontario listening to the show, uh, specifically Waterloo and Toronto, and I've even got people in, um, Quebec listening to the show, and, um, you know, hopefully they're not uh, native French speakers, because I I don't really know much French, so you know, I know that they speak a little French up there in in Quebec, been there before, uh, up to Montreal area, Uh, so anyway, that's um, pretty exciting um, that uh, we're, you know, reaching all over the places, the power of the internet, I guess, Um, kind of an amazing thing, if you really think about it, I didn't really realize that would be the case, so I really appreciate you listening, Uh, I definitely want to get feedback from you. Join the uh, the Facebook group um, and uh, leave me some feedback there. I try to post some other articles and things on there from time to time. And certainly leave me a voicemail through the Anchor app. Um, you can have 60 seconds or less on any topic that you, that you please. Um, it could be one that I've mentioned or you can start something else up. It's kind of up to you. So until next time, uh, keep calling strikes.